The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Bears banter powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and it is happening, Bears fans. It is finally happening. We are on the cusp of training camp, and thank God. Let me tell you, as someone who has been had an expanded role on Windy City Gridiron and is writing more articles, I can't tell you how much excitement I have that there will be actual football and practices and things happening that we can talk about and not just speculation, which is what it has been. Because let's be honest, OTAs do not provide a lot of information for us as Bears fans. And not not to expect that it would, but you know, even less, I think, than usual, because there wasn't that much up in the air. There wasn't that much to unveil, so to speak, at OTA practices. So really, since you know, a couple weeks after the draft, when that NFL draft kind of settles down, we haven't had a lot to talk about here the last couple months after having so much to talk about since the season ended. So I am thrilled that training camp is right around the corner. So like we did last year, I have a guest that's coming on, and we are going to have a lengthy conversation, and I am looking forward to this. This is actually going to be released in two parts. You've got part one of the podcast. Let's call it the training camp preview podcast, really diving in to every aspect of this Bears football team. And we're going to do it with Robert Schmitz, formerly, formerly of Windy City Gridiron, and now the editor-in-chief of the Bears blog. Robert, of course, been part of this podcast channel for a long time and has moved on here recently to work with Jeff Hughes and the Bears blog. Very excited for Robert and that opportunity for him. We're going to miss him here, though. He was a, he was a great part of this channel, very important part of this channel. We're going to miss him. But, you know, kind enough, Robert's going to jump on like he did last year. We had a great conversation going into training camp last year. We're going to try and duplicate it this year. And like I said, we're planning on talking a while. So I'm not going to bore you with a lengthy podcast speculating about this or that. I'm going to do it all with Robert. So part one here, we are going to focus on the offense. And part two, which will be released here a couple days later, that's going to focus on the defense. So two conversations here. You're getting part one now, part two coming up in a few days. So we're going to do it with Robert Schmitz, a DeBears blog. 
He joins us next. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. I'm excited for this next guest because it's, it's, it's a little weird. We have done, I don't know, 10, 12. We've done plenty of podcasts together but always his teammates. And now things a little different. Robert Schmitz, longtime Windy City Gridiron contributor, podcaster, YouTuber, you know him well. He is now the editor-in-chief of The Bears Blog, something he started not too long ago, but he is going to be running that website for this upcoming football season, and who knows how long after that. Robert, Bill Zimmerman, good to talk to you. How you doing? I'm doing well, Bill. I mean, it's been a crazy couple of months, that's for sure. And I cannot wait for this next Bears football season because, I mean, in a short couple of words, Bill, in the time that we've been teammates, we have covered some abysmal and miserable teams. I mean, we've covered a 2021 team that was dead in the water before the season kicked off. We covered a 2022 team that everybody kept trying to say was going to win 10 games, despite the rest of us trying to sound the alarm. But who likes the guy that wants to tell you that there's a fire in the kitchen? Right. Like, why listen to him? And so finally getting a season, we've got some real things to be excited about. That isn't a camp battle between Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles or um, Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. Oh, my gosh. What a time. Right. (laughs) And that's the thing. Like, this is this is the first time for me, really. This is the first time since going into the 2019 season. Where and look, I understand what the 2019 season was, but this is the first time I've had this much optimism. And look, I'm not expecting the Bears to go 13 and four, but what I'm expecting is a competent football team that's going to show a lot of improvement. And bottom line, and even more so than like 20, especially on offense, like what 2018 and 2019 was, except for a few trick plays here or there. I expect the offense to be fun. And I'm going to be sure. Uh, I'm going to be disappointed if that doesn't happen because of what Ryan Poles has done this off season. And I'm a big fan of a lot of his moves. And we're going to get into all this. We're going to get into offense and defense, as I said before the the break. There, you know, we're going to have Robert. We're doing two episodes here. This first episode is going to focus on the offense, and then episode two is going to focus on the defense. So you get plenty of Robert's analysis here, plenty of mine inane opinions. But but here we go. So. Robert, since I mentioned Ryan Poles, let's start with Ryan Poles. And let's start with what he did here, because I have never pulled punches that I was not a big fan of what Ryan Poles did in his first offseason. And that wasn't to say I didn't understand the the process, right? The tear down, get it down to the nuts and bolts and, and get rid of the shed the bad salaries and everything. I get that. I just didn't like how he he used those draft picks, a couple of the mistakes he made, but they were rookie GM mistakes. But that aside, because there's no point to focus on that now, this offseason, I think Poles had a plan. I think he stuck with that plan, and I'm a big fan of just about all the moves he made. I think they, they make a lot of sense on a lot of different levels too. So let me start there with you. How do you think Ryan Poles – forget the defense. We'll do that in episode two. How do you think Ryan Poles did – offensively this offseason? Well, you know, this offseason was fun. It was almost easy 
because when you have the number one overall pick and you get the chance to trade down and for some reason Carolina wants to give up what I think was the better asset, right? We saw that article that the Carolina Panthers released, which by the way, I've never seen a team release their own article talking about how they held on to Brian Burns over DJ Moore, despite the fact that DJ Moore, I think was selected roughly where Brian Burns was. Cause I think DJ was like the 18th overall pick a couple years ago. He just been paid teams. Don't want to give up the contract. That's going to retain signing bonuses instead of signing an edge rusher. I'm still shocked that the bears pulled off that trade. Cause if you had asked me, Bill, a day before that trade went down, Hey, what if the bears could trade down and pick up DJ Moore? I'd have been like you, uh, what are you smoking? Send it to me because <laughs> That's just never going to happen. It did. And so the Bears add a number one wide receiver, which I don't really think they had an opportunity to add a number one wide receiver in any other fashion. So effectively, they've pulled off a miracle. Then they traded down a second time. We can talk about the Jalen Carter thing if you really want to. But they pick up an offensive tackle after not signing an offensive tackle in free agency. So they gambled that they would find one, and they found one. And we like him. Right. And they add Tyler Scott, Roshan Johnson. Those are fun, but they're rookies. I don't want to get too over my skis about what these rookies are. But overall, Bill, you add those two players at the top of, say, your offensive line in your wide receiver room. Doesn't the rest of the picture suddenly look so much better? Like Equinemius St. Brown is a wide receiver five instead of a wide receiver two. We can deal with that. that that's okay. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like ESB, and we've talked about it. Like he has useful things that that he yeah. does, and, and and blocking. And, and look, it's not like he's a useless piece on the thing. You just can't <laughs> have him be your wide receiver two, or in some cases, it felt like wide receiver one with yeah, injuries yeah, and everything. There was just nothing there. And the DJ Moore thing, it really can't be understated how important that move was to be a part of that trade because. Look, we talked about how Ryan Poles can improve the wide receiver room. And we talked about how a trade was going to be critical to do that. And I'll be honest, I didn't think too much about trading the number one pick to get that wide receiver because I just didn't think, you know, Michael Pittman was the guy that kind of came up. If there was a move with the Colts, that wasn't the wide receiver. One guy I would, I was going to say free agency. I like Jacoby Myers. He's a, he's a good wide receiver, but Jacoby Myers isn't going to put this unit over the top chase Claypool. We've all had reservations about, it was like, I kept looking at how he could address wide receiver and going, I can see him infusing more talent, but I can't figure out how, unless, you know, I, and I was a big fan of trying to trade for for Higgins, but obviously Cincinnati yeah. wasn't going to do anything there because I couldn't figure out how to get the wide receiver one on the roster. Ryan Poles looked at it and said, we are going to use this number one pick. We are going to get that wide receiver one because we talked about it when the, when the wide receiver room in 2022 was healthy. You sat there and said, it's not good. Because Mooney's wide receiver one, even if we put in Claypool, Claypool's wide receiver two, Pringle, and and you work your way down. But suddenly, if you put a legitimate wide receiver one in that group, Mm. and now Mooney's wide receiver two and Claypool's wide receiver three, and everyone gets bumped down a slot, suddenly you go, huh, that's a good wide receiver room. So I, without question, forget Darnell Wright, forget, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, forget anything he did to me. Getting DJ Moore, getting legitimate wide receiver one, a top wide receiver for Justin Fields, and getting the 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 crescendo of the wide receiver room correct was the best move he made all offseason. 
Absolutely. And I mean, Bill, let's pat, we don't need to pat ourselves on the back, but let's cut ourselves a little bit of slack here. The other part of that wide receiver trade argument was that every time somebody would suggest, well, what if we traded with the Colts and we picked up Michael Pittman? I would say back what I thought was very sane at the time. Why on earth is a team going to give you their best wide receiver when they're drafting a quarterback? It still doesn't really make sense from Bryce Young's perspective. I mean, congrats. He's throwing to DJ Chark and Adam Thielen. Neato. Oh, and don't forget about Jonathan Mingo, of course. But he loses DJ Moore, the number one weapon you'd have against man coverage. I I will let Carolina chew on that one because I'm glad they made the decisions that they did. Had we gotten Brian Burns, I would still be enthusiastic. It's a ton of trade value for what the Bears got, but you would have had to hand him a brand new contract. He's a speed rusher, more so than the defensive end. This is the defense part, but it's more to say, Bill, I really think the Bears would have, they had the choice, let's say, between a guy I think is somewhere between the 8th and 11th best receiver in football, and another guy who I think is between the 14th and the 20th best edge rushers in football, and I love Brian Burns. That's just a position of aliens you've seen it i've seen it nick bosa joey bosa tj watt like that the edge rusher position is just so unbelievable that it's hard to find a guy that makes a dent like a guy that somebody like somebody established like dj moore can do a receiver and we've done all this without even bringing up nate davis yet who was underrated in terms of his addition because the moment i think darnell wright gets brought in you look at this offensive line and you say there's a plan here I mean, I don't know if it's going to work, but it's a much better plan than last year. And and so as you take a look at this offense, you kind of mentioned this, Bill. I mean, I can't say for certain that everything's going to work. A lot of things are going to have to fall in place and congeal all at the right time. But instead of hopes and prayers that somehow still landed the Bears at the 23rd most points per game offense in the NFL, which if you really think about the talent they had, I don't know about you, feels kind of <laughs> unbelievable that they weren't bottom five. But Instead, we look at an offense that at least week one, they've got some pieces. Like they've got some ways that they can hurt you. They don't have too many holes that they're trying to account for. Braxton Jones as the 2024, you would hope he's the fourth or fifth best player on the offensive line, right? It's probably going to take some time for Darnell Wright to really catch up to speed. But your hope is that in the future, Brax is as bad as it gets on the offensive line. And that's not a bad worst player on your offensive line. I don't know. I see the appeal here. I'm excited. I really am. And it all, it all comes back to Justin, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it sure does. So before we get to Justin, let's, let's talk about, you know, some of these tweaks here on offense. You brought up the offensive line. So let's start with the offensive line. Let's do it. Like you said, Darnell Wright, Came in at nine. I don't think we need to spend time on Jalen Carter. I did a podcast afterwards with Brett Coleman and, you know, and, you know, I even spoke with EJ Snyder before and I said, if Jalen Carter's there at nine, what do you do? And, D and EJ said, draft him. And that was my belief too. Sure. So you take Jalen Carter because I believe there are plenty of issues that come with Jalen Carter and I understand those issues. But to me, he is arguably the biggest talent in this draft. And you, you roll the dice on talent. I get it. The Eagles have a better structure. I get all that. It's what I would have done. I'm not upset that Darnell Wright is on the Bears. Totally. I like the idea of Darnell Wright on the Bears. He's got that nasty that Ryan Poles wants. He's a natural right tackle. We're not flip-flopping our tackles back and forth. So I get it with, with Darnell Wright and Nate Davis. The one thing I with Nate Davis, Tevin Jenkins is on the move again. Tevin Jenkins continues to need to play his way into this you know new regime's hearts so to speak because we know he started on the outside looking in 
And I think, and I was talking about this with some Bears fans on Twitter. I think a lot of Bears fans forgot Tevin Jenkins did not start at right guard week one last year. Tevin Jenkins was brought in. Tevin Jenkins really didn't take over that position until the injuries were such that he needed to play. There was, remember, they were doing rotations with him and Lucas Patrick. It was a bit of a mess. And Tevin Jenkins grabbed that spot when he had the opportunity. And I'm hoping he does the same on the left side. You know, switching from right to left interior isn't as difficult as it is out on the tackles. And being that Tevin has been on the move between right tackle, left tackle, right guard, left guard, he's been all over the place the last few years. I think, I think that will actually help him a little bit making this transition. And hopefully he is the left guard here for the next two years. The one thing I would have liked to have seen them do, I don't love Cody Whitehair at center. I think you're probably more positive on Cody there right now than I am. But I also get this. You, if Ryan Poles isn't a guy who wants to spend a top 75 pick on a center, if he feels he can get quality centers in that fourth, fifth round, which, you know, potentially we've seen that can happen, then I understand that not wanting to, you know, take John Michael Schmitz or, or whatever, you know, he passed on in those second and third round picks that he had. I still don't love white hair there, but I also get you cannot fix everything on this roster in one off season. And I'm, I'm, my belief is that this is Cody Whitehair's last year on the team and that they'll address center next year. But overall, I like this line because for me, this is the first time in a while I've seen an offensive line that I think week one is going to be pretty good, but I also see the potential for this offensive line to improve throughout the season. And for the most part, the last few years, I haven't seen that. I haven't sat there with Sam Musfer going, well, Sam's going to get much better over the next couple months or, right. or whatever it might be. So it was almost like a patchwork, just try and get the best five out there. And now I see Ryan Poles putting together an offensive line with two veteran centers, given Lucas Patrick that as well, that'll kind of help with line calls and everything that needs to be done there. And these, this, these young assets, and Nate Davis is still young as well, these young assets can grow together and form what hopefully will be a pretty formidable line for Justin Fields. Absolutely. I mean, to go through the laundry list of all kinds of things, Braxton Jones got accustomed to the NFL last year. We'll see if the NFL, I'm curious to see how the NFL attacks him. I mean, he, I hate bringing the guy up because I know there's so many Bears fans that hate old number 72, but Braxton Jones is way better in the run game than Charles Leno was, but he has the same problem he did that he gets bull rushed a lot. He's a big dude. His center of gravity is kind of a mess. I mean, you can envision it, Bill, that a guy that size struggles to hunker down and anchor considering he's as good a mover as he is. You kind of get one or the other when you're that big and that long. So I'm curious as to how people are going to attack him, but I think the Bears can live with it, chip the edge, like all that jazz, right? Tevin Jenkins, it's funny because on one hand, you get the argument of, can't we just leave Tevin where he was? And the other argu- the other side of that coin is, well, he did so well with basically no prep. Why not give him a whole offseason and have him switch to the left side after he'd been practicing at left tackle the last two years before this? You know he can play on that left side. Now you're switching the footedness, sure. But the other option was to ask Nate Davis, who had done it one way for seven years, to switch sides. And that just didn't make as much sense. It's so funny that the white hair at center thing keeps coming up because all I'm really saying, Bill, is that Mustafer was a walking, walking matchup nightmare. Like for the Bears, white hair isn't an automatic L at center and center, especially the really weird part of like, okay, so Bill, if you're like I am, especially years ago, I don't have time to watch every single center on every other team. I just know that Bradley Bozeman isn't terrible. 
right? And at one point for the Scouting Academy, me and Jeff Burkis were going through and we were doing that. And I got assigned Bradley Bozeman as homework. And it made me realize how bad most centers are in the NFL. You get the good ones. Of course, you got the Jason Kelseys. You've got the Creed Humphreys. But Bill, a lot of these centers are fifth, sixth, seventh round picks and they move like it. They are slow. They run out in open space and they bump into somebody. And that's not to say white hair is definitely super good it's more to say he brings second round former second round athleticism with him and i wonder if he would fit at center a little better than we think he will but i mean a lot of that's going to come down to injury it's all speculation bill but i'm pretty certain the bears wanted joe tipman i mean and ricky stromberg and that neither player quite fell to them right? Because Tipman got taken in the mid-40s. Stromberg got taken right before the end of the third round in the comp pick section of memory serves. And then the Bears immediately traded down at the top of the fourth, ended up picking Roshan Johnson and Tyler Scott, which I am certainly not upset about. And everybody gets, everybody talks about John Michael Schmitz, who had dramatically shorter arms than either of the two guys that I just mentioned. They seemed like they wanted a long and athletic center. And JMS is really good, really, really good. But he's not near as long and he's not near as crazy athletic he's more your standard fair center and he's really good at it right so i don't know whether that automatically means that ryan poles is doing the right thing i just think i see what they were going for does that make sense yeah no that that makes perfect sense and and i agree with you tipman was actually the top of my list for centers as well he went and i was like okay but when john michael schmitz fell as far as he did into that cluster of picks for the bears i certainly wanted them to make the move but i understand Look, we, we have seen this very clearly in terms of athleticism, in terms of length and everything. Ryan Poles has types. He's yes. pretty in the box on those as well. I don't think, you know, if seventh round, you're going to stray from your types because you like what you see on tape or something or something. I understand that. But right. for the most part, he believes in a certain type of athlete and he is going to try and build his team off those athletes. And I appreciate a guy with that level of conviction. So if, if Schmitz, if that didn't fit, I, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm okay with him trying to grow this offensive line uh, in his image, so to speak, because look, when he sat down, when he was first hired, he goes, I am building this thing out from the offensive, from the trenches and outward. And, and we're seeing that. And I understand he spent more money at linebacker and he's spending money elsewhere. Right. But what he's doing is he's bringing in his athletes. He's bringing in a young group that will hopefully grow together. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And that's why I think, you know, we've talked about Braxton Jones and I want to bring him up here. And I did a, a group on the 10 bears with the most approved this season. And Braxton mm -hmm. Jones was Braxton on that was list 10. for me. Yeah. I, he was, he was at the bottom of the list. He was like eight, nine, 10, somewhere mm -hmm. in there, but he was on the list for me because if I'm looking at this in, Ryan Poles has an opportunity to add another big time player through the draft. It's going to be at left tackle. Now he needs to be, he's going to have a couple opportunities to do that next year. So he needs to know 100% after this year that Braxton Jones is my guy for the next decade. He needs to feel comfortable with that at left tackle because he's got Darnell Wright now for, for you know for the next four years. He's got you, you know he's got Davis Jenkins is a little bit up in the air, but he's certainly not you know you don't go crazy and bring in a left guard. You're going to bring in a left right. tackle, and between guys like Fashanu and Alton, some of these guys that are going to be sitting there, and the Bears are probably going to have a top ten pick. You know, I know they're going to they're definitely going to go for an edge, but they're going to have a couple picks here, and left tackle could be a way to approach the line. Sure I don't think he's going to take a left tackle. Don't don't misread this, 
But if Braxton Jones doesn't improve, maybe regresses a little, doesn't have the season we're hoping for, I think if Ryan Poles wants to improve the offensive line, it's going to be a left tackle. Where I'm really curious, Bill, about this is that I, I basically want to know how big of a nerd Ryan Poles is. Because when you take a look at the money that the Bears are saving, starting a fifth-round left tackle, plus player in the run game, all he's got to be, Bill, I think we would agree with this, is somewhere between a push and not quite a minus player in the pass game. And you've got a huge value at left sure. tackle. You can You could basically take... Braxton Jones plus Jermaine Edmonds, and it's not as expensive as Trent Williams. And nobody's pretending that Braxton Jones is as good as Trent Williams. But the fact that you can afford almost an $18 million linebacker with the cost savings between them, it turns your head. You start to realize what the Bears are getting from a resources perspective there. I, like you, I'm I'm dying to know because I could easily see the Bears, like you're talking about, wanting to really beef that offensive line up. But Gervon Dexter might be their highest pedigree defensive lineman right now, and he was picked number 53. Pedigree isn't everything. You and I know that, Bill. I mean, Max Crosby was a former fourth-round pick, but the Bears could pick two defensive ends. The Bears could pick a defensive end and a three-technique with two first-round picks. I mean, I understand the Bears have invested a lot in their defense, but Matt Eberflus is a defensive guy. It might not surprise me to see that if Braxton Jones can basically just turn in a passing grade this season that that's going to be enough do you think honestly bill that he has to dominate or do you think he just has to not be a problem yeah no he cannot be a problem like i said i i think as long if even there's just a modicum of improvement from last year not for him yeah like he we can't see regression if you have regression then you don't know what you have i don't i'm not expecting regression but i'm just saying that's the position that's why there's a lot on the line this year for braxton jones I expect him to to succeed, but I'm just saying if Ryan Poles is going to make any more high, you know, significant draft capital investments in the offensive line, like a first round caliber player, it's going to be a left tackle. You don't do that at guard. You don't do that at center. And and if he's comfortable with it and, you know, we grab a center next year, whether that's in free agency, maybe start beefing up the offensive line depth in the in those fourth and fifth rounds then suddenly you're going to have something because, you know, while we're on the offensive line, kind of talk about the depth, we don't need to spend too much time on it, but I'm happier with the depth this year on Mm -hmm. the offensive line than I have been in a while. And it's look, Lucas Patrick was a failure at guard last year. Now will Lucas Patrick be better at guard if he has to step in with two better players around him? I think that's a definite possibility. We didn't really see Lucas Patrick at center either. So Perhaps if that if there's an injury to, to Tevin Jenkins, maybe Cody Whitehair is the one that bumps bumps out to left guard and Lucas Patrick plays center. Right. There's some flexibility there. Larry Borum as a you know you put him in as your starting right tackle or left tackle. I'm sitting there scratching my head, going, "What are we doing?" Right. Larry Borum as a swing tackle. I'm fine with Larry Borum as a swing this. tackle. So you know suddenly when you sit there and go, "All right, you got a couple legitimate. You got one good interior guy. You got one good you know swing tackle." In, in that capacity, that's pretty good. You know, Carter, I'm very interested in. I want to keep a close eye on him in right. preseason and kind of see where he is. Because if we're going to trust Ryan Poles' evaluation of the offensive line, this is a guy he kept on the 53 his entire rookie season. Right. He did not want him to get, you know, like Zach Thomas got scooped up by the Rams. He did not want to lose him. 
So he protected him the entire year. So I'd like to see where they see maybe him developing. And is he going to be a, a key backup as well? You know, I've even heard some things that maybe they might even try him at center a little bit and see if he has the ability to play that position as well. And then to me, I assume the ninth offensive lineman, if they keep nine, is Alex Leatherwood, who can right. play multiple positions poorly, but at least he can play multiple positions. <laughs> so, like... I, I, I'm looking at this offensive line, you know, this, this, and, and, you know, Iceland as well in, in the mix as well and sitting there going, they, they've got some pieces here that assuming Tevin Jenkins does get hurt. I don't like to assume that, but it's hard to imagine him playing 17 games. You always get, you know, Cody Whitehair is 31 years Tim. old with the, the, there's going to be opportunities for injury as there is with every offensive line and the guys they have to, to fill in. Not bad. It's, it's the best really it's been in a while. It's it's really sad to me, Bill. And I mean, truly, like, it is depressing how quickly Ryan Poles has built stronger depth than recent Ryan Pace teams. I mean, it shouldn't have taken one and a half off seasons, one in which I'm still convinced that they were tanking with like a winky face last year. And it worked. I mean, it's actually a huge gamble when you think about it to tank, because if you end up drafting sixth instead of first, you don't get half the value that the Bears have gotten, do you? But it worked. So yep. they ended up number one. They get DJ Moore, future first-round picks. We, we've already gotten into that. I like the depth. I mean, there was a day and age where uh, uh, Rashad Coward was our sixth-best offensive lineman. And we finally got rid of him, and we had Alex Bars as our sixth-best offensive lineman. And now our sixth-best offensive lineman at least has played for other teams right. in Lucas Patrick. And Larry Borum has starting experience. He's now in his third year in the league as a swing tackle. And like you're saying, who knows who Jatari Carter is? But you're not – betting on your eighth offensive lineman. And if all hell breaks loose, you do have a guy that's a former first round pick in Alex Leatherwood, whatever, right? You can't have Jason Kelsey on the bench. I would love to have Jason Kelsey on the bench, but your depth can only be. Well, so I'd love good. to have Jason Kelsey. Cause then, you know, Cody Whitehair is on the bench. <laughs> that would be sweet. Jody, or Cody Whitehair as a sixth offensive lineman would rule. But I can't help thinking, we were talking about this with Braxton. I think the biggest thing for this offensive line, Bill, when it rained last year on offensive line, it poured. Uh, there are a couple reps, because I'm going through putting something together on Braxton now, as a matter of fact, where Braxton would lose the edge, but at least he'd make the guy go the long way around the edge, which became a problem because Justin had received pressure from Mustafer's direction in the middle. So Justin had nowhere to go forward. He so had he to go backwards, backwards into Braxton. which led him into Braxton's man. The, the interesting piece is that if at least the interior can be decent this next year, Bill, Justin Fields. So I know there are a lot of people that want to act like Justin Fields has this awesome pocket presence. We haven't seen it yet, in my opinion. Like, he's not stepping up and staying in the pocket. But his legs are so scary, Bill, that if you overrush from or like against Braxton Jones, you better get him or he's going to leak out your side. That's going to become a problem for defensive end rushes attacking both Braxton Jones and Darnell Wright. If you lose the, or if you win the wrong way, you lose. Because if your guy, it, like if your defensive tackle doesn't have contain, you gave up a first down. Like Justin Fields is going to outrun the spy. You are SOL out there. So I can't help thinking, Bill, I don't want to say this is going to be offensive line on easy mode, but Justin Fields just put together, I I'll ask you this, because you 
Jack and Jeff are phenomenal football historians. You watched the Bears last year. When is the last time you saw a quarterback look that much more athletic than everybody across from him? Because he, I mean, understandably, we've got Lamar. But has there been somebody that you saw since Lamar, at, other than Vic, that played at that level of athleticism compared to an NFL linebacker, an NFL safety, an NFL edge rusher, and everybody in between? The, the, the only guy that I always go back to is peak Randall Cunningham on the Eagles. Mm. Randall Cunningham, you know, and he kind of had the rebirth with the Vikings there a little bit where he was more of a, a pocket passer and not so much of what he was because he had the, his knees were shredded. He just right. didn't have the legs anymore. But peak Randall Cunningham, I think it was, I, I don't have the stats up in front of me. I think it was 91 where he was just like runner up for the MVP. That, because Cunningham had the cannon for an arm. He could right. he threw 85 yards down the field. He had the speed, the athleticism. Like, I, I, I was actually I did a I did a podcast with Jack Silverstein back in January about the, the Hall of Fame and he wanted to talk about Randall Cunningham. So we did. And like and I bring this up because this is Randall Cunningham to me. If you the Back to the Future movie, right. when when Michael J. Fox plays Johnny B. Good and then does the guitar solo in, at the high school dance, and he's he's you know it, it's he's just on his knees and he's he's just you know got the reverb going and everything, and everyone's sitting right. there staring at him, and he goes. Uh, I guess you guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. That was Randall Cunningham. The NFL right. wasn't ready for Randall Cunningham. They're like, what is he doing? The NFL didn't realize what truly, what kind of a weapon this was for an offense. And he wasn't, if Randall Cunningham came along in 2014, right. he would be a surefire Hall of Famer because he would have been utilized completely differently. So Cunningham and Vic, they're to me in, in that group. You know, Lamar, and here's but here's the thing, and this is why I really hope Justin runs less this year. Oh, yeah. Lamar is already declining. If you look at Lamar's stats, he's he's been injured, as as we know, and I know he had the contract issue. Lamar's stats are, since the MVP season, each season steadily get a little worse. And hopefully he recovers and it's it's not an issue. But it is difficult to take that kind. I don't care how big Justin Fields is and what kind of an athlete it is. You know, we, you and I talked about this. Justin Fields has not been healthy in December no. in either of his two seasons not because he's getting pummeled. Now, better offensive line, better weapons where he trusts them and will throw the ball and not hold on to it. There's all the pieces are there for him to not get hit as much this season. Oh, yeah. But Justin Fields cannot run 12 times a game and expect to play 17 games a season. And the good news is, Bill, and I mean, Really think about Lamar Jackson and Houston's Deshaun Watson when they would run the ball. I don't know if you can like just recall what those guys looked like when they were toting it, but they would put their shoulders down and slam into people. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing I really love about Justin, he doesn't like getting hit. For as often as he's been hit so far in his Bears career, he will step out of bounds. Like he's not going to put his shoulder down for four yards. He just... That's not his thing. Like, get the first down, walk out of bounds. He played that whole, was it the Detroit game, where he didn't take a hit and he ran for almost 100 yards in, right. or like in doing so, which rules. We love that. Thank you, Justin. He definitely needs to stay healthier. I mean, ideally, we run the ball less with him. I don't know if we're going to see less of these option runs. I hate the fact they're all getting called designed runs. I get it. Everybody's like, well, it's not a pass. It's not a scramble. What else do you want me to call it? But it's like Justin has the ability to pull the ball if he thinks that he's got a free edge. It's the, the Bears called, I, I don't know, I don't want to say definitely like 15, Bill, but 
less than 20 plays where they said, Justin, you are running the ball this play and there's no other choice, right? Especially in the red zone. Like those power sweeps that you saw to one side or another, the back was not getting the ball there. But uh, all these option tags, he could have handed it off. We were seeing his confidence grow when he would say things like, I can beat this blitzing Green Bay nickel corner and then ran it for 65 yards and a touchdown. I still don't know what possessed him to do that. That's not the conventional read, but that's just (laughs) the confidence of a young quarterback with swagger. And it's actually really inspiring to watch, if you ask me. But like you're saying, I mean, I tend to think that Justin Fields' athleticism needs to be more of a – it needs to be more of like laying the, the handgun on the table, but not having to fire it. Does that make sense? It, like, it does. The threat. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're trying to show the defense that you could and that you might while stepping forward as a passer, because what that I think that would do is take a lot of the juice out of the pass rush. You can't just five man blitz Justin Fields or he's going to gash you against like the man defense that you call in the back end if he leaks out and the risk becomes too heavy because I mean this very seriously Bill there is no other quarterback in history so far in the NFL that has been as threatening with the ball in his hands running it I mean nobody's scoring from the distances that Fields is scoring it sounds hokey it sounds hyperbolic but you've heard the stat no other quarterback has scored two and Justin Fields scored three and had two called back Like 50-plus yard touchdown runs. It is outrageous what he did with the ball in his hands. And defensive coordinators have to account because nobody wants to be the sixth guy to get their pants pulled down, right? (laughs) Exactly. You'd rather lose to DJ Moore. At least you can tell your head coach, well, he did something that wasn't on tape. Because if he beats you doing that, come on, you should have planned for that. And so – my hope is that that makes Braxton it, – it, it's going to do more for the guys on the edge because the edge rushers are going to be your primary contain specialists. So the hope would be that uh, Braxton and Darnell have easier years than we think. But you got to – I do want to say if there's one thing before we move on, this is kind of negative, but, Bill, it has to be talked about. Andrew Thomas is an all-pro right now. Andrew Thomas was horrible as a rookie. Evan Neal, who's to say – but he was horrible as a rookie and is completely retooling his passing stance. Darnell Wright played at 350 pounds when he was at Tennessee. He's going to be playing at 320 pounds in Chicago. I have no idea how he's going to play. And I'm so high on him and I love the pick, but you don't pick a tackle so that he can dominate as a rookie. So that's the one piece of the offensive line. I see a lot of fans getting really, really excited. Oh my God, Darnell Wright. On the offensive line, and I'm like, hey, I'm I'm glad we've got a perennial, per, like that we've got a proven pro playing guard next to him in Nate Davis because I think Wright's going to need it at times. Yeah, sure. There's going to be growing pains there, and there's going to be overreactions when when Darnell misses an assignment and some edge goes, you know, free release on on the outside to Justin, right. and we're sitting there going, "Oh my God, you're going to get him killed." <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that's part of it. But that's again what I think Ryan Poles is seeing here is that this isn't the the completed product. 2023 is not the completed Chicago Bears project. I've always said GMs need three off-seasons before you can evaluate them. Ryan Poles has had two, so he's got an entire another off-season. We know he's still going to have more money to spend. He's going to have two first-round picks. He's going to have plenty that he can add to this team next off-season as well, but there's going to be growing pains this year because, again, this was a three-win team. We get, and I understand people want to say, "Oh, they were better than three wins, really." Well, 
The bottom line is they won three games. You are what your Period. record says you are. Yeah, exactly. And yes, did they keep them close on a lot of occasions? Sure. Did Justin Fields, was he the reason they kept them close? Absolutely. Because, you know, Justin Fields was always the better athlete that, you know, it was always pretty much the best athlete on the field at all times. And when you have that, you you can create mismatches. And that's what obviously Getzey was able to do, especially during that four or five game stretch where Fields was just, you know, unstoppable. But let's talk about Justin Fields here since we've been talking about him a little bit, you know, beyond the legs, let's talk about the arm. You know, mm-hmm. we all know the deep arm talent. We'd like to see him utilize that more. Hopefully he has more trust in his weapons that he is, you know, comfortable throwing to them when they're NFL open, but not big 10 open, you know, hopefully he utilizes that a little more. And we know he needs to improve in the short and medium passing game because, and I've always brought up this player and obviously he's already better than this player was. I'm not trying to compare him, but Josh Rosen, you could put together an NFL highlight reel of Josh Rosen and it looks majestic. I did. He has an incredible deep arm. And just, you know, even on incompletions where, where the Dolphins didn't have the talent or the Cardinals, whoever it was, and you sit there and be like, oh, how did they not catch that ball? And you sit there and be like, Josh Rosen is going to be a superstar. But Josh Rosen never got the short and medium passing game. And now he's he may be somewhere on some practice squad, but in essence, he's out of the league. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Justin Fields, but it just shows how important oh, yeah. that aspect of the offense is. And we need to see improvement from Justin Fields there this season. I think at some point somebody was saying, fact check me on this, but I I will be damned if I'm not in the neighborhood, that the NFL, 70% big data wise of the NFL's passes are completed under 10 yards. Uh, so between 10 yards or the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, that's the overwhelming chunk of the that's, NFL's I would passes. guess that's about right. And that doesn't it sound about right. And so the fact that Justin Fields is really strong on uh, passes beyond exactly that mark is only so helpful now again the the good news bill i'll say what i think everybody wants to say but you know sometimes i think people get worried about saying it because it sounds ridiculous and homery justin fields outrageous athleticism does mean that he gets i think a different quarterback rule book than other people not completely different you still have to follow the basic tenets of quarterbacking but where mac jones has to get the ball out within two and a half seconds justin fields does not have to because it's assumed Mac Jones isn't going to outrun Roquan Smith. Fields might. Uh, and that in that, you get the bizarre product that we're seeing where, don't forget, Bill, it's week two. First round pick, Quay Walker out of Green Bay, was in a direct foot race with three steps on Justin Fields. And Fields on third and nine beat him to the corner of the end zone and scored with his legs. What Fields can do really is ridiculous. And now, granted, I mean, I get it. The running back argument, right? Is Joseph's running back? Uh, no, obviously. But it does slow. It, it just creates extra pressure on the defense. I mean, after all, Bill, if Justin Fields can pull one guy out of cover or coverage to forcibly spy him, that gives the rest of Absolutely. your wide receivers and weapons one less guy to go against. And you can visually picture any defense, cover two, cover three, cover four, like picture the little bubbles in Madden and now picture one less guy there. And so other people having to cover that ground, it gets tougher. And the hope would be because I'm, I'm of the opinion, Bill, that there's a decent chance Justin Fields could get no better at all. And it will look like he took this massive step forward because his offensive line is a quarter second better at blocking. And DJ Moore is open a what? 
three quarters of a seconds sooner. And Fields is locked in on read number right. one and just rifles the ball to him as he expected. And it's like, look at Justin throwing with anticipation. It's like, oh, maybe it's not anticipation, anticipation so much as trust, but who cares? Right? right. I mean, it's, it's so weird. Cause with Mitch, I could tell you exactly what he needed to get better at with fields. There are some pieces that of course I would love to see get better, but I don't know how I'm going to get fields to throw the ball sooner when he's learned from the NFL's perspective that, I mean, dare I bring up that week 10 play he made against the lions where he just decided not to throw the ball to Darnell Mooney, 15% of chance of completion, maybe on that fade that was covered. And instead he just ran left two tacklers came for him, ran right two more tacklers came for him, broke two tackles, outran two more, ran over somebody at the goal line and scored. <laughs> like, how are you going to get that guy to take these tiny percentile chances right. instead of trusting his legs? No way. Right. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, and that's what where Getsy and and they're, they're going to have to work with him and say, have all right, to. this is where you need to use your legs. This is where, you know, all right, maybe your legs would have gotten you seven yards here, but this pass is going to get you five yards, and all we we only it was third and four, so the five yards is enough. Like that's where you know Justin needs to learn to play a little bit within himself and not only utilize his legs, right. and that's going to be you know. That's that's got to be coaching. That's what he needs to learn to do. But like you brought up and needing to spy on him. And this is what's so fun having fields as your quarterback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need to spy him because he will just take, you know, he'll just take the space every time and, and take the yards with his legs. But if you spy him, you better make sure that that spy has a lot of athleticism. Because then you're going to spy him. He's going to get past the guy anyway. And you've literally wasted a defender. Like that's the fun yeah. of Justin Fields and, and the, you know, the hair pulling that defensive coordinators have to do. If he really grows into this passing game and really knows when to go deep, you know, with Tyler Scott there and, you know, Mooney has some, some speed and everything. I think we're going to see some guy, you know, Bellis Jones, if he can, turn into something we've got some speed that you know he's gonna be able to stretch defenses with we know what he has with the athleticism if he really starts putting this all right. together i don't and i'm not saying it's going to happen this year and it may never happen but when you see all these pieces that justin fields has in terms of his overall talent and now the pieces he's going to be able to start utilizing like you see the ability for him to become a top five quarterback in the nfl yes and i think you know this season, if it goes well, we could be saying he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, and that would be a fantastic step and, forward. And, Bill, people aren't hard enough on other people's quarterbacks. We see the Josh Allen highlights. We see the frozen rope in the preseason. We see amazing playoff games. And then the guy comes to Chicago. He throws two picks, like, to Jalen Jones and Kyler Gordon, and they're terrible. Like, I sure. mean, had, had Fields committed those mistakes, people would be calling for his benching. Like, but it's Josh Allen. Whatever. I mean, he's he's an MVP, right? So we just we just let him have it. Uh, Patrick Mahomes played a game against the Broncos through two interceptions, both like in stone cold coverage. But he was making quick decisions because the Broncos had a rush. We're going to let him have it. He's an MVP, a multi multi time Super Bowl champion. My point is modern quarterbacks, the young ones are making boneheaded mistakes. Not literally every Sunday, but I'd say probably you get one every like six out of the 17 Sundays in the NFL. So when Justin Fields throws a horrible pick six on a screen in week 10 against Detroit, that may not change, but you'll get more of the good plays, right? And my hope 
personally, Bill, is that when it comes to offensive construction, last year the Bears had an issue where Darnell Mooney was like Justin Fields' like lock on. I mean, if ju- if it was third down, can you blame don't him? He- no, I can't. <laughs> but there were so many of these plays. I I know, Bill, because I pointed them out to you like on our off time, where it was like Justin Justin Dante Pettis is wide open on the drag over the middle of the field. It's third and three. Why are we throwing a slot fade to Darnell Mooney? It doesn't matter that Mooney's <laughs> open. Take the free money, man. And so my hope would be from a roster construction perspective, leave Mooney doing exactly what he was doing put DJ Moore on some of these gimme routes, like give Justin somebody that he trusts out an outrageous amount, maybe even somebody oversized for what some of these routes are really going to ask him to do so that Justin Fields is extra incentivized to just, just hit the layup. You know what I'm talking about? Like these yak routes, these things where because you have Mooney stretching the safety in the nickel corner, DJ Moore just has to basically beat somebody with inside leverage and and he's going to do it. I mean, he's literally one of the best athletes in football. And so you get him the ball in space. Justin Fields has to hit a, I mean, this literally three air yard completion past the line of scrimmage. And he's going to pick up 11 yards and say, wow, maybe Trevor Simeon was right. Maybe checking the ball down makes me good. Uh, And so that's, that's my hope. Like you almost have to build an offensive framework where Justin Fields is incentivized into thinking that I can get bigger plays doing the easier thing than trying to do the hard things. We know he wants to throw that touchdown and I'm glad he does, but we got to I also want to see him not be quite so late with the ball. There, there were times where Justin Fields made the right decision, but he threw the ball just a hair or in some cases very late and it blew the play up uh, to use some examples. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't the giants game. He had this beautiful rope to Equinemius St. Brown along the sidelines that the safety ranged over and tipped away uh, against the Vikings. The first time Darnell Mooney beat double bracket coverage, which is super impressive, but the ball came out again, a split second too late and Harrison Smith got back into the play. So I want fields to know, like I see it, I throw it just instinctive. And if he can do that, I think a lot of good things are going to happen for him. We've seen it in garbage time when you will see Fields process it and go, that guy's open. Hang on, is he? I'm in late game. I got to throw it anyways. And it is a pick an outrageous amount of the time because he is so tardy on these throws. We got to change that. I don't even need anticipation at this point. I would love it, but I'm just not expecting it. But let's just be on time. And if we can do that, among other things, I think Fields is going to produce a bunch of yards and you're going to hear Packers fans and Vikings fans say he's overrated what are you talking about he's not even that good and it's not really going to matter because he's going to score and more points than I've seen the Bears score in probably two seasons combined yeah no I I, I'm with you and and I you know I I think we're lock lock sync there on on fields and and what we're expecting this year and what he needs to do where he needs to improve uh, you know, a couple more pieces on the offense I want to discuss with you here before we wrap up this this uh, part one uh, of the training camp preview, so to speak, uh, with with Robert Schmitz of the Bears blog is uh, the running backs, because I'm a big fan of what Ryan Poles did here at the running back position. I know David Montgomery was wildly popular. I think Bears fans liked him more than I did. I didn't dislike him. I just didn't think he was at the level a lot of Bears fans did. But when I look at what he did overall, right, you know, Khalil Herbert, same rookie contract, Mm -hmm. he he bumps forward a year. But you let Montgomery go, you draft Roshan Johnson, who I think has more versatility and a a broader skill set than David Montgomery did. And now you have, instead of the three years he got in Detroit, 
You have Roshan Johnson for four years and you have right. him for less money. You still bring in Deonta Foreman, who is going to be, if he ends up being your third running back at that skill, that's a fabulous one, one year mm-hmm. deal there. And Travis Homer is going to be absolutely someone who could be utilized in the passing game, third down back. He can, you know, his catch rate is like 85% for his career. You know, he does not drop balls. So you can, you're going to have little access to him out in the flats. Plus the fact that he is a very good pass blocker and he is going to help keep Justin Fields safe. I think that whole group there you've got, instead of what was basically a two deep offensive or a running back room, you now have a four deep running back room and that running back room is cheaper than it would have been if you kept David Montgomery with twice as much depth. So I'm a big fan of this running back room. I love the Roshan Johnson pick. He was actually, and maybe I was too high on him. He was actually my RB three or my RB four in this rookie running back class. I was a big fan of him. I thought people were sleeping on him because of, well, Bijan Robinson. So I was thrilled that they got him. I think he has the ability to start early in the season. I'm not saying he's going to start week one, and I really think Getsy's going to use this as a stable. I don't know if we're going to see a guy out there for 60% of the snaps. Sure. I think you could see a lot of guys 20, 30, 40% of the snaps and all these guys rotating through. Because to me, unless Khalil Herbert shows a ton of improvement as a, as a pass blocker, I want him to stay in the RB2 role. I think he can thrive in the RB2 role. I don't want him in the RB1 role because I think he's a detriment in other areas. Let him come in, do what he does extraordinarily well, and help the offense that way. That's why I hope that like Johnson can get into that RB1 role, Herbert's RB2, and then you've got Foreman and Homer to do what they need to do in, in you know spots you know throughout the game. I think they have a great running back room. I think, you know, running is still going to be a key part. Hopefully we're passing it a lot more this year, but I think running the ball is going to still be a key part of Getze's offense. And I think with the hogs they have up front and these four running backs, I think they're in pretty good shape in that department. I agree with you. I mean, Bill, we talked about value earlier with Braxton Jones. I don't know if you've done the math yet, but did you realize that Deontay Foreman, Travis Homer, Roshan Johnson, and Khalil Herbert combined are cheaper than – each individual year of David Montgomery's three-year $18 million deal. And that's not even to say that then the Lions spent, what was it, pick 12 on Jameer Gibbs, who I would have used him if he was more expensive than all of them put together. Not quite, unfortunately. Uh, But it's close. It's close. So it's it's wild seeing the – value that the bears are trying to extract from running back. And I really like it. I mean, I agree with you. The bears are going to run the piss out of the ball. If they can, it's it. I think their offense is going to look not exactly the same because green Bay does a lot of West coast stuff with uh LaFleur and Rogers's influence. But last year, if the Packers could beat you by simply grinding you down at the run game, that is what they would do. Like in modern football, there are some teams that they want to beat you throwing the ball like Patrick Mahomes. And there are other teams that want to beat you throwing the ball, but by suckering you into run defense first. And that's like the whole core of the Shanahan offense. Right. right. And so if the bears can, they want to get you to bring that eighth defender into the box so that they can throw it. And now last year they had trouble defending against that guy, like pass pro defending against that guy where you brought too many guys in the box and Dieter Isolin would lose in his uh, run, like his play action run block, which is just staggering. 
I digress. Uh, <laughs> the point is that uh, I, I tend to agree with you. I think Roshan Johnson's got a really good first step. It's funny because he measures so similarly to David Montgomery. But the difference is, let's just call a spade a spade, Bill. When your first move as a running back is to, like, put your feet, what, side to side? Like, your first step is that, like, plant step where Montgomery would take the snap, he would put both feet on the ground, and it was as if he was just going to stare and quickly check what the defense was doing before going. You're never going to build up to whatever speed you have compared to what Roshan Johnson does, where his first step is straight in the direction that he's running, and then he just runs as hard as he can to get there. I don't think he's fast, like he being Roshan Johnson. No, he's not. But he's quick to the hole, and you know what? Having Having a good first, second, and third gear can replace having a fourth and fifth gear that matters in the NFL. And Khalil Herbert has shown us that because his slashing background means that when the, um, what is it, like the backside defensive end holds on to check whether uh, Justin Fields is booting or not, like just, or Khalil Herbert has taken a lot of advantage of slamming things back up the backside of the uh, defense for big, big rushing gains. So, I, I tend to think that the running back room should be a lot of fun. If Khalil Herbert isn't better as a run blocker and a pass blocker, I will be blown away because if I was his agent, I would have, I would have pass rushed <laughs> against him. Like I would have put on pads and blitz against him. This is your chance for painting. Like Khalil Herbert should be doing everything he can. And Hey, we get a couple of those. Like let's talk about chance Claypool. Like there are a couple of really key situations on the bears offense where even if you don't, love the player they are so motivated by the opportunity or the situation surrounding their next contract that they should be giving the bears their absolute best right we assume these professional athletes do that uh all the time but bill i think we both know that doesn't always happen but a guy like khalil herbert should be giving that little bit of extra effort to be the rb1 which between roshan who i think is everybody's rb1 heir apparent deontay foreman who has played the rb1 role before and, and, and uh, uh well yeah, exactly. And Khalil Herbert, who, if he became the RB1, could be a real star. Like, really could be if he earned that position with decent receiving and pass-blocking ability. I think you have a really ripe room for for the positive connotation of roster battle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I uh, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of how that room has come together. I like how, I mean, the... the I think the the pieces fit well together as well. You've got people that, you know, the players that do things individually. And, and you know, we're, we're going to get to some contract extension and contract years here in a second because, and look, I, I think you have to be fair to professional athletes because, you know, we all sit there and go, well, we all wish we could be in their shoes, right? And we could right. be playing at this high level and making gobs of money and, and, and playing football for a living. But at the same time, this is their job. And none of us can sit here and say we give 100% at our job five days a week, 52 weeks a year. We don't because we're human. And that happens with players as well. You hope it doesn't happen that often, but it is going to happen from time to time. And and that's the thing is where you just have to find guys that are self-motivated and can work. Like Darnell Wright, like some of the, the negatives about him early in his collegiate career he seemed to absolve himself of those and prove that those were no longer the case in terms of his work ethics and some of the, you know, coachability and things like that. Didn't seem like he had that as much as freshman, sophomore year as he did his his later years in his college career. So you can improve in that way. and, And I think that's where, you know, you have to hope that, and that's, I think where kind of Ryan Poles is looking 
for those type of guys, those guys who are self-motivated, the hard workers, the guys that you, you don't have to light a fire under, kind of like Chase Claypool, who we're going to get to here in a second. So before we get to Claypool and some extensions and, and the wide receiver room, I, I want to talk about tight end a little bit because we have not talked about it at all. And, and look, we, we know what we've got here. We've got Cole Komet. He's going to be in the Y. He's does some things pretty okay. He doesn't do a lot of things great. I, I think I probably like Cole more than you do at this point, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit. And then you've got Tanyan. Uh, and I, I was a fan of that pickup. I think he's going to fit very well in this offense. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of Bears fans, you know, I, I saw, well, if, you know, Komet goes down, Tanyan will step in kind of thing on Twitter. That's that's not quite the, the case here. They're, they're different types of players. But I do think the opportunity of two tight end sets with Tanyan, Komet, with, say, Mooney and Moore out there is going to be a really good look for Justin Fields. It is, and I, I will get out ahead of my commit thing because I've been not talking about commit very much on purpose. Like, I, it's not that I hate Cole Komet, but Bill, I'm going to say something, and I think you're going to have a hard time refuting it. I have seen more downs where Cole Komet was the reason the play failed than the reason the play succeeded. Whether that's a pass into the end zone where Cole didn't box his guy out, whether that's an open stick route, like the six yard stick route on third down, where it's a third and five, we need this ball, and Cole, Cole just drops it. An arc block where Cole Komet can't handle a linebacker, a pass play where Cole Komet can't handle a defensive end. Tight end isn't a fair position. In the, in the draft stuff that we did before the season, I love I fell in love with tight end. Tight end is a cool position because it's so unfair. But my the, the thing I struggle most with Cole Komet is that he has the capability to do everything, meaning that the offense tries to put him in positions to do a little bit of everything. But at any given moment, he might fail. And while some, you may say that that's like kind of true for all kinds of positions in football, DJ Moore isn't going to lose a one-on-one -on -one man matchup almost ever. Like a lot of guys in football are basically automatic at what they're good at. And with Cole Komet, I don't know what that is. He scored five touchdowns this last year, and I'm pretty sure all of them were wide open, Bill. And while there's something to be said for, well, why was he wide open? I don't know if being forgotten about is a replicable <laughs> trait, right? Like e even on an offense with – Equinamia St. Brown and Dante Pettis starting for you. Cole Komet managed to get forgotten about five times and caught the ball absolutely bare naked open, right? Like that's that's neat, but I can't help wondering if as a if if you put Cole Komet on the Kansas City Chiefs, would he actually have a role or would he just get the ball thrown to him and get a bunch of yards because he's decent at finding spaces in zones i i don't know so my only trouble with cole Komet is that i think he's probably gonna get extended to like an eight figure a year contract and i just don't know if the bears are ever gonna get that value out of him but he's good locker room dude i know that stuff matters he, do, he does do a little bit of everything for you he is crazy young we saw little bitty flashes of some of the first route running development we've seen in his career so far so who knows maybe i end up changing my tune here coming up but i kind of just I kind of just worry that it's you, you, you talked about this offline with me, Bill right now, if you paid Cole Komet, you are paying the 16th best tight end in football and you are hoping he's going to become a top five player, despite the fact that he's never shown you, he would be a top five player. And I find that unnecessarily risky, but Tanyan 
has pass game experience. So that's kind of neat. He's going to be kind of a Jimmy Graham blocker, like you talked about. But you can't fake a tight end knowing how to run the route because a lot of guys' bodies, they just don't even know how to do it. Right. Right. So I'm not saying Tanya's going to rule like chances are. Justin Fields has a bond with Komet and he will maintain that bond with Komet rather than developing a brand new one with Tanya. But I will tell you, Bill, the way Bears fans have reacted about picking up Tanya, like that's a big pickup to me is more a referendum that they know what Cole Komet is than not. Does that make sense? No, it does. And look, I have been largely negative on Cole. So that's that's the first thing. I I've had my reservations about Cole Komet from basically the day he was picked. Didn't necessarily want him to be selected where he was when, when Pace and, uh, and Nagy took him. Water Nagy had his, his Travis Kelsey, whatever you want to call it. And we know that wasn't the case, but, but regardless of that, exactly. here's what I'll say in positives for Cole Komet. Every season he's gotten better. This past season was his best season. His second season was his second best season. His worst season was his rookie season. We have seen general progression there. It is very true. He does not do anything great, but he's also gotten to the point where I don't think he stinks at anything either. And he's had no. some things that he he was bad at as a rookie. So he's continued to improve. Now, I was surprised how glowingly Ryan Poles spoke about him in January. Yes. Basically, you know, it was like Justin Fields and Cole Komet, like, didn't mention Jalen Johnson, didn't mention Darnell Mooney, but he mentioned he made sure he put Cole Komet out there as a building block of the future. I was surprised that he was that high on him. But like you said, and like we talked about offline, they're expecting Cole to continue to improve. I think Cole's probably close to his ceiling, just by a hunch. But I will say, and I did get a chance to interview him, and we did a stand-up interview, and this is why this is important that we were standing for this interview. Cole is gigantic. <laughs> he is every bit six. Look, I'm almost six three. I am a smidge under six three. You know, you look at my Twitter profile. It's me and Justin Fields. We are the same height. I I am every bit of six. Cole, I was looking up at Cole. He is an <laughs> enormous target. I understand the athleticism, everything there, but he is every bit of that target, that size target for Justin Fields. If he can grow into that and really utilize that frame. That's going to be a big help. He he continually improves. He is a good locker room guy. So I hope Ryan Poles is correct that this trajectory that he's on will continue and he will continue to improve. And this year, maybe he is a top 10 tight end. And the year after he is in that top five, six group. I think that's what Ryan Poles is expecting to see out of him. I think we're, we're settling into where he is. He's going to be in that 10 to 15 role, a useful tight end. He's going to be overpaid, assuming they do extend him. But the other thing I will say for Cole Komet, and I actually asked him this when I interviewed him, and he, he downplayed it a little, but he did not tell me I was wrong. The tight end position is the toughest position to learn going Easily. from college to the pro. It, it uh, You know, we even like the, the Tony Gonzalez is the world do not set the, the, NFL on fire as a rookie because it is just a tough position to adapt to and develop into coming from college to pro. Cole Komet's first year in the NFL was the COVID year. He did not have real OTAs. He was doing everything virtually on an iPad. Training camp was bizarre with all the isolation and everything. They didn't have tradition. So I think Cole Komet, when he sat, got out on the field week one as a rookie, was far behind what a traditional tight end rookie would be. 
So I, I think that stunted him a little bit. Now it's been three years. He's had time to catch up. But I think when you look at Cole Komet's overall report card, I do think that plays into it a little bit. So like I said, I think Cole's pretty close to his ceiling. I think he could maybe improve a little bit more this year, and that's going to be it. I think Ryan Pohl sees him as much more of a, a higher trajectory, and, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a lot from Cole Komet this year in terms of now there's more weapons around him. Is he just going to kind of go into the fold and kind of disappear? Is he going to be forgotten about by defenses and, like you said, get wide open catches? Where is Cole Komet now going to fit in this offense? Now that we can at least look at this right. offense and say it's a legitimate NFL offense. It doesn't have to be a top five offense, a top 10 offense, but it's a legitimate offense that, you know, defensive coordinators are going to look at and be like, we have to scheme properly right. to stop this offense. It's at and least there, which we haven't, as Bears fans, we rarely see. And last year, I mean, they, they could have just hit the same, you know, be like Madden, like in the 90s, where you just pick the same defense over and over and over again, and you stop the offense. That's what the Bears offense was last year. Yes, it was. And I mean, hey, just to build a little bit of a bridge for Cole Komet, like, to be fair, Bill, there is one piece of Komet's game that started developing that I think is going to be really key for Justin Fields. So look, I'm about to bring up a couple of Hall of Fame tight ends, and I'm not going to make a direct comparison with Cole Komet, but I want I want you to think about the athleticism of Travis Kelsey, who I think we would both agree, first ballot Hall of Famer. Sure. Like, no other tight end has had five for a thousand yard seasons, and I believe Kelsey's already had seven. So uh, what was it? Tony, Tony Gonzalez, athletic superhero right? Outstanding receiving tight end. And then there's Jason Witten, right? Who's not the wild athlete, not an incredible separator. Good feet, right? But he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He caught a bazillion balls. What did he do, Bill? He got really good at defensive recognition and found the spot in whatever zone coverage got called against him. And Tony Romo didn't have to look anywhere else. He found Jason Witten. He checked it down. Getting wide open against Detroit on one of these play-action rollouts where you did just get forgotten about doesn't impress me. But week 14 against Green Bay Packers, uh, when Cole Komet found that spot wide open on third and 10, do you remember the one I'm talking about? Pass rush folded around Justin Fields. Justin suddenly looked to his left, and Cole couldn't have been more open, right? That, I really like that because Fields doesn't normally find that guy. The fact that he did find Cole Kmet says to me that they've got at least some kind of a thing going on about if you don't know who else to look for, I have found some open grass. And if Kmet can keep doing that, just like be the good check down option, sure, sure. We've got enough cap space. Pay him whatever you want. <laughs> like, make my quarterback better. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, He may not absolutely. be an offensive weapon, but if you're a good teammate to Justin Fields in a weak area of Justin Fields' game, I will get over it. I will be, I'll be. i buy a jersey if that's what it takes to, to make it up to him because right. that's an area of his game that he has more of trouble with that than Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, Mac Jones, the standard like pocket general quarterback. So if Cole Komet is his safety blanket trusted option, it won't be because he's a dynamo against a linebacker. It won't be because he can catch one of those wheel routes up the sidelines that gets lofted to him. And all he's got to do is make a daggum contest a catch. That may never be Cole's game, <laughs> but finding a soft spot and making a catch that quote unquote, well, anybody can make that catch. Sure. You know what? Catch 600 yards doing that. I would I would eat that up because yeah. that means Fields probably throwing for 4,200. <laughs> so look, what, I, I think we both agree Cole Komet's probably looking at an extension and, and I would agree eight figures. You know, he's probably going to 
so I, I don't know exactly where it's going to settle because I think the tight end market was weird this past off season, but probably in that 10 to 12 million per year, probably on the higher end of that. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here. I would expect that to happen in August. But two other guys who are in contract years that we haven't talked about, we talked about DJ Moore, but we didn't really talk about Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool. And the, the more I think about Chase and, and everything and, and I understand they spent the 32nd pick in essence to get him. But to me, I am comfortable extending Darnell Mooney before the season, committing to him and telling Chase Claypool, you're in a contract year, go out and get your money. It's not going to be in Chicago. Because to me, there are enough alarm bells that have gone off about with Chase Claypool and the one, the biggest alarm bell for me was actually something Justin Fields said when Justin Fields was speaking about Chase Claypool during OTAs, and he spoke about him positively, right? Mm-hmm. He talked about how you know he's a great athlete, and but he said his improved attitude. I, and it may not have been the exact word, but improvement in attitude this offseason compared to where he was last year. That's a wild alarm for me. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you hear about, what you know, Chase Claypool, the Pittsburgh Steelers did not trade Chase Claypool because like, oh, well, we got Deontay Johnson and we now have, um, oh, geez. George Pickens. George Pickens, Come thank on. you. Yes, the guy I wanted, right. Uh, we have Pickens and Johnson. We don't need a, a, a third guy here, so we're going to trade him. No, they traded Chase Claypool because they didn't want him on the team anymore because of his attitude and his commitment. Fast forward, it seemed that Chase Claypool might have had the same issues last season in Chicago. I know it took him a while to learn the playbook and everything, but to me, now he's entering a contract year. He may have a very good season because Chase wants to go out and get that second contract. I say at this point, because I have enough reservations that if you pay Chase Claypool, you're not going to get the same motivated player. He's going to regress in terms of attitude and commitment. I say take advantage of his contract year, tell him to go out there and get his money, and then don't give it to him. Let another team pay him. Yeah, uh, Bill, I think you and I would both agree that this is a conversation that totally sucks to be a part of, but it's nonetheless important because when we, as people who aren't in the locker room, have to question an NFL athlete's motivation, it feels like a cheap shot. Sure. But there's too many reports about this. You know what I'm saying? The people who said Eddie Jackson got paid and then he got lazy. It's like, well, first of all, every quarterback in football is avoiding Eddie Jackson. So the fact that he's not showing up on the football field doesn't impart laziness. And second of all, why are you calling a pro football player lazy? What do you know about this guy? It always (laughs) feels weird, doesn't it? But in Claypool's case, there's too much smoke. I mean, seriously, there's too much smoke. You don't hear this about DJ Moore. You don't hear this about Darnell Mooney. You don't even hear this about Dante Pettis. Why do we have to hear it about Chase Claypool all the time? And you look at his, the physical toolkit that he has. He's 6'4", 220 pounds, runs sub 4'4". Only two other players that have those measurements are DK Metcalf and Megatron. So he's on an incredibly, incredibly special physical talented list. And Mike Tomlin the guy who kept a lid on Antonio Brown, the guy who's reined in George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, who both have their own outbursts off the field. Like that guy didn't want Chase Claypool. Are you sure you know receiver better than him? But at the end of the day, Bill, that's actually one of the things that I've been most impressed with with Ryan Poles, because I see the DJ Moore move as a direct referendum on Chase Claypool. And the fact that not even in 365 days time, 
he was willing to say, yeah, that didn't work. We're going to try something else. Like, don't you agree, Bill? We've seen too many GMs that would have said, no, Chase is our guy. I gave up what ended up being pick 32 for him. I'm not moving him. Like, what? That would just embarrass me. Poles isn't worried about it. He said, I'm going to make the wide receiver room better, and I'm going to figure it out. I don't actually know why Chase would want to stay in Chicago. Can you make a decent argument for why Chase would want to stay in an offense that's going to be primarily run heavy, and he's got a direct competitor for his position in DJ Moore and also a direct competitor for his second position in Darnell Mooney? Like, doesn't doesn't he seem like exactly the kind of guy that's destined to get overpaid in free agency after this year, get the Bears maybe a comp pick, but go f- like, you know, it's the, he's the hot receiver that everybody else is going to talk themselves into at some point. And like, I don't know. Not to cut you off from the question I just asked you, but to me, Bill, a lot of the Bears fans hype around him because right now, if you put out a tweet, if you put out a tweet in this show while we record the defensive one that said, what's one Bears fan you want to prove everybody wrong? You will get 10 comments that say Chase Claypool. I get it. I did that for Marcus Wheaton. Like, I've been there. You know what I mean? I, I did that for, I don't know, Taylor Gabriel didn't have, like, anything to prove. But I've been there where I took that receiver and I said, no, 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 no. Everybody hates on him. I think he's going to prove you wrong. But I really don't see how Chase Claypool fits into this offense better than Darnell Mooney and DJ Moore, who I think have a very decent chance to imitate DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And to me, that's plenty. So whatever Chase gives me is a bonus. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and here's the thing that, that I'll say about Chase Claypool. And, and I'm going to use Charles Leno as an example. And Do you'll it. see why here in a second. Charles Leno, there were content creators in, in the Bears world that wanted to label Charles Leno as lazy. Yes. And I'm not going to name names. It doesn't matter at this point. He's no longer on this football team. But there was no evidence anywhere that Charles Leno was lazy. A coach never said it. A player never said it. An unnamed source never said it. It was just, oh, look, here's Charles Leno jogging instead of running when the play's on the right side of the field. Like, it was things like that. That bothered me. That's that's where the lazy narrative is a hurtful one and a bad one for fans. But the Chase Claypool narrative is not being created by fans. It's being created by people in the know, former teammates, like, you know, people who covered the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's being created by people who talk to teammates and see Chase Claypool in action and Justin Fields saying, well, his attitude seems to have improved this year. Like, that's where the Chase Claypool narrative is being formed. It's not being formed by a bunch of us on our sofa going, oh, he's lazy. He should have caught that. He's not trying. Yes. There's a big difference in armchair quarterbacking and calling someone lazy and actually having people involved in franchises saying that someone's attitude may need an adjustment. Bill, I don't know if you saw this, but JT O'Sullivan did a breakdown of one of the many that he did on Justin Fields. And when he saw Chase Claypool run a route, he said, who's this receiver that, oh God, is that Claypool? Don't tell me that's Claypool. (laughs) He hadn't seen the guy play before, right? He just knew there was an acquisition. He watched two routes and he went, Oh man. Oh man. That's bad. I didn't know at the time, like until I really started scouting wide receivers, I just hadn't watched enough wide receiver tape. And I thought I'd watched a lot of tape at that point. Right. But this former quarterback took two snaps of watching him and went, I'm, and I'm quoting verbatim. He went, Jesus, you gotta be kidding me. 
And I don't know what cues a nine-year NFL veteran was picking up. But to your point, Bill, this isn't, uh, I don't know, this isn't like Da Bears, I'm trying to pick a podcast name that's fake. They're all taken, right? <laughs> like this isn't, this isn't somebody podcasting like and riling a bunch of people up because he's got spare time. Like these are the people that are in the NFL circles that are saying, I don't like this guy. And it's like, what? There are a lot of colorful characters within the NFL. Like there are a lot of dislikable people that people find a bridge to build and work with them. What did Chase do? But right. I, I, I don't know. It's just happening too much. Yep. But but and here's the thing, though. I'll agree with you that it does look like Ryan Poles is like, all right, that one didn't work out. Maybe I overpaid. Whatever it might have been. But yeah, DJ Moore, Tyler Scott. Like I'm not going to be done investing into the wide receiver group because I have Chase Claypool where, and we'll just say it by name, Ryan Pace, and he done that, said, no, Chase is my wide receiver one. Extension. We've invested in him. Extension. We spent the 32nd pick to get him. Yeah, we're going to extend him, and we are going to keep him as a part of this team. And, and that was Ryan Pace's biggest issue, and you know, maybe Matt Nagy to an extent too, is both of them had egos and did not like to admit when they were wrong. I like to think Matt Nagy was doing the standard thing that everybody wants their head coach to do, where he just really did believe in his guys. Like, but like you're saying, it all played out that way and it doesn't matter. I'll tell you the one player that you talked about that I really want to bring up. I've seen a lot of people compare Tyler Scott to Darnell Mooney and assume that they are the same dude. And while they have a similar body type, First of all, Scott played a little bit more of an outside receiver role and a lot more of a deep deep fit role for uh, Cincinnati than Mooney played for Tulane. But most importantly, Bill, say what you will, I have never lost sight of the fact that in the middle of that same COVID year you talked about, Darnell Mooney, on his off day, I think he told a story about how he recorded a cadence onto a speaker, played it while he was motioning out of a huddle so that he could get reps on a football field by himself, totally alone, when he wasn't allowed to talk to his coaches anymore, right? And suddenly, there he was, starting next to Allen Robinson by week one. Like, right. I I think Tyler Scott, if, let's put it this way, if Tyler Scott becomes a second Darnell Mooney, I think that that is an embarrassment of riches and a positive thing, and you would find a way to put him, DJ Moore, and Mooney all on the field together, because that's three very good wide receivers. I'm not in a rush to push the guy out that has worked as hard as he has and seems to be as tight with quarterback one as he is. And I don't think anybody needs to be prioritizing getting him out of Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's wrap up the offense with this. Kind of give me your overall thoughts on this offense for this season. Like, you know, it doesn't all come down to numbers, but in the bottom line offense, you got to put the ball in the end zone. Yes. Four points. How do you think this offense, which we know was, you know, other than running the football, which they were one of the best in the league at last year, struggled in every other mm -hmm. aspect of offense, including scoring points. Where do you think this offense can get with the pieces they have with a, you know, offensive line that I think has the potential to be below average this year? And I say mm -hmm. that complimentary based on where they were last year, where I see a weapons group that could be, average this year nfl right. average 14 15 16th in the league and the quarterback position where if justin stays healthy will be above average to to good like in sure. that top 10 to 12 range so when i look at that and i kind of go well then i want to see this offense just in the top half of the league 
Like yes. I would like to see this offense Thank at you, 16 or better. I Thank you, I, Bill. I'd love to see him fourth. But if they were the 15th best offense in the NFL this year, I would tip my cap to Justin and give Luke Getze a standing ovation. Bill, I'm a positive and a perky guy. And lately, I feel like the negative Nancy. I did this last year, too, where it's like I'm really excited for, and then I say the Bears to be 14th in the NFL in offense, right? Because I've seen people that think that this Bears team is going to be top five in offense, and I just don't think they're old enough, to be honest with you. Like, we've seen this too many times, Bill, haven't we? Where the difference between literally five of the Bears' wins was somebody catching a football. And yet they lost all of those, right? <laughs> like, I mean, Darnell Mooney in Washington, ESB against uh, Minnesota, or no, ESB against Miami. Then in the Detroit game, you have Jalen Johnson getting this weird flag with hands to the face that takes away a Jack Sanborn interception. Look, I could go down the list. I, ISM was list. Minnesota. What? Yeah. I, ISM was Minnesota, exactly. Right. Like, the Bears are going to make <laughs> weird mistakes. I don't know what they are. But they to say that this second year offense, but I mean, let's be honest, Bill, it's a first year offense, given the new tools that they have are going to open up a completely different branch of the playbook. Like they're going to run a bunch of stuff that they didn't quite run last year in terms of the pass game. The run game is probably going to remain relatively the same. I hope that they are 14th in the NFL in most categories and then squeeze out into like 10th in points, right? Where like, healthy in rushing yards i bet they're gonna be crazy in rushing yards because when you got a rushing quarterback you just you bump those numbers uh no matter what you do but it the only thing that i want to say about the offense because this probably sounds like i'm being negative i think there are a lot of people that are just massively overhyping this like a we are going from a really weird year where we were 23rd in the nfl in offense and that's because of a six-week stretch outside of that stretch we were, I think, like third to last because the Broncos were abysmal. They did his favor last year. And then the Cardinals fell off a cliff after Kyler's injury. But I want to see the Bears, like you're talking about, Bill, be beyond respectable in the NFL. You just have to remember that other NFL offenses that are established are like really good at this. And so being <laughs> ahead of the Chiefs, being ahead of the Vikings, be, even the Vikings, <laughs> who are in like weird disrepair, they have Justin Jefferson, being ahead of the Bengals, being ahead of Detroit, looks like they're going to be good at offense next year. Sure. So crawling into that place where you are closer to the top than you are the bottom, to me, that's plenty. Because the Bears have been trying not to be on the bottom forever as long as i've been a bears fan the bears have been on the bottom except for the the mark tressman season where they had the good offense and went seven and nine the, the and Nagy's 2018 year, year where they but that, that was the it like the 2018 team we know was carried by the defense it's not like that yeah. was a dynamic offense like exactly we, you know that we have a chance to see something we don't see in chicago very often no and the only thing i'm worried about is that people have done so much talking about this offense and in particular this offense's quarterback that if Justin Fields ended up, I don't know, Bill, the 13th best quarterback in the NFL, like just in the passing piece. And then you add a little bit of rushing on top that fans of the bears even are going to say, it's not enough. I wanted a top five guy. And I'm like, slow down. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. And here's the, here's the one thing I will say. If the bears offense finishes 14th in the NFL, it's going to feel like they're a top five offense. Sure should. Because they, we will not have seen an offense this efficient in quite a while. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> we we hadn't seen an offense as efficient as they were in the midseason in just about forever. And right. I mean, seriously, the biggest question, I mean, okay, this doesn't get talked about a lot, Bill, but to me, one of the biggest differences between being the eighth best offense in the NFL and the, I don't know, second best offense in the NFL is how long does your defense take to get off the dadgum field? And with the Bears' state of the defensive line, they opposing teams may possess the ball for a little while. They may not be dead last in the NFL. That's a whole different preview episode. But I do want to know how this defense is going to come to play. Are the Bears going to make a move at edge rusher? Assuredly. Dot, dot, dot. Right? Like, and so if they, if, if the defense can be like, I don't know, 20th in the NFL, the offense will be pretty good. But if the defense does that Eberflus magic thing and suddenly they're like top eight in takeaways off of blind luck, the offense could be as high as ninth or tenth just because they get the ball more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So let's uh, let's end this podcast there on Robert's tease about the defense because this part two that's going to be coming out in a few days will be all about the defensive side of the football. Robert, thanks for so much time. Thanks for sticking around for part two. We'll wrap up this podcast here in a minute. This is Bear Banter. Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, there he is. Robert Schmitz, everybody. Like, I, I, you knew it would be a great conversation, right? And we're not done. Uh, like I said there right at the end of that conversation, we have part two of this conversation coming up. So it is going to be released on Wednesday the 19th. So if you are listening to this here on Monday or Tuesday on the 17th or 18th, part two coming out Wednesday the 19th. If you are listening to this on the 19th or later, part two is already out there and waiting for you on the Windy City Gridiron channel. So stick around. Part two coming up here in a bit. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. Adios.